HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we'll be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I am joined by Davy Kai, a.k.a. at Love in My Belly. Davy is the daughter of immigrant parents who survived the Cambodian genocide in the late 1970s. She was born in a refugee camp before her parents immigrated to the U.S. when she was barely a month old. After years of watching her mother cook, testing out her recipes, and traveling all over Cambodia, she has finally brought her mother's dishes to life through her memoir cookbook, Love in My Belly. Davy shares the intimate experiences that have shaped her journey through heartwarming stories and recipes from her mother's kitchen. Be sure to check out her blog, Love in My Belly, and check her out on social media at Love in My Belly as well. Thank you so much for being here, Davy. I'm so excited to chat with you. Hi, Alexa. I'm happy to be here and excited to chat with you too. Yay, that's awesome. So <laughs> what a crazy story. So your parents survived the Cambodian genocide in the 70s and you came over here when you were literally a tiny, tiny baby. So what was that whole experience like of getting kind of settled here in the U.S.? I imagine, obviously, pretty dicey, but where did you grow up and where did you land here in the U.S. when you did come? So when my parents first came to the United States, they settled in Stockton, California. And my mom was actually a single mother. Uh, she survived an abusive marriage to my father. So childhood was kind of hard. My mom was an immigrant, learning English, working three jobs, and raising three girls on her own. So it was pretty hectic at home. And I spent a lot of time with my mom in the kitchen because she made homemade meals every day from scratch, even though she was juggling three different jobs. Oh, my gosh. Your mom is a warrior. <laughs> Oh my God, my goodness. So what type of food? I know food is obviously playing a huge role in your childhood and your upbringing and what you ended up 
pursuing later in life. So what were kind of some of those dishes that you grew up with? I assume very a lot of Cambodian influence in your kitchen. What were some of those d- dishes like? Um, in my family and also in Cambodian culture, we eat a lot of soup. So my mom made soup with every meal. It's usually soup, rice, and stir fry. Um, we ate rice for every single meal. And um, I just loved eating soup. I love cooking soup. <laughs> what are those soups like? Are they kind of like spicy soups, chicken soups, or all kind of different soups? What are they like? There's such a variety. There are definitely a lot of stews where there are a lot of herbs and spices, but my favorite one is the Cambodian pineapple sweet and sour soup where there's fresh oh. pineapple in the soup, mushroom, tomatoes, um, Asian basil, and cilantro. Um, I love that a lot of the Cambodian soups incorporate a lot of fresh herbs. Ooh, that sounds so good. I love like a hot and sour soup. That sounds absolutely delicious. So when you were, I guess at what age did you start kind of picking up on the fact that you were really passionate about food? Were you helping your mom in the kitchen as a little girl or what was kind of the story there? You know, it took a while because growing up, you know, I felt really sad for my mom because she was always so busy and she was alone for a really long time. So after school, I would always sit with her in the kitchen just to keep her company and watch her cook. And I wasn't as interested in the cooking as I was just wanting to keep her company. And so I just watched her and she told me stories while I was in the kitchen. Um, She taught me lessons that, you know, kind of conflicted with my American upbringing. Like, you need to learn how to cook so that you can get a husband and wife, um, which meant nothing to me as a child. And so for a long time, I resisted. And it wasn't until after college when I moved out and lived on my own for the first time that I missed my mother's homemade Cambodian meals. So I would call her and ask her how to make different types of dishes, um, but she doesn't measure anything. So it was really difficult for me to learn on my own. And it wasn't until later after college where I've had some practice um, living away from my parents because my parent, my mom moved from California, my mom and our family moved from California to Boston. And so I spent most of my childhood in Boston, but then after college, I moved to, to California. And so being away from my mom, I didn't get to eat a lot of her dishes anymore. So I had to really learn on my own. And it was a lot of trial and error. And after my grandfather, who I was really close to, passed away, um, I realized I am never going to have the opportunity to learn the recipes that he made for us. And I don't want to have that happen with my mom. I want to be able to share these recipes that my mom made for us growing up. And I want to be able to pass that on to my children. So it was probably in the last 10 years that I probably took cooking Cambodian dishes more seriously. And that's what inspired me to start working on my memoir cookbook. Amazing. So what was that process like? Was it kind of like sitting down with your mom, like watching her cook and then like you kind of calculating like, okay, she she doesn't measure anything. So that looks kind of like a cup. Like, how did you do this? It was such a long process because I live in Los Angeles and my mom is in Boston. So I spent hours on the phone with my mother. And making every recipe a zillion times, going to a million grocery stores um, to try to get it right. It was kind of trial and error and guessing. And then during my process of making the cookbook, I'd fly home to Boston a month at a time and just spent the month cooking with my mother, testing out recipes and kind of getting her stamp of approval. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Jesus. So a lot of travel, 
a lot of grocery store trips, a lot of time in the kitchen, it sounds like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And and a lot of time on the phone speaking with her, um, going through all the ingredients. And, you know, whenever she tells me about a recipe, there's always there's usually a story. So the conversations were never short. And sometimes she didn't have the words to articulate or communicate the ways she prepares a dish. So sometimes that part was kind of hard and challenging. Um, But also learning my own way and trying to adapt to my way of cooking and maybe not doing the long process and figuring out shortcuts for myself. Mm, Interesting. So how did it feel once you kind of were able to finish that project. I'm sure it was an incredibly rewarding experience. Oh, I can imagine. it felt so good. <laughs> I dedicated a whole year where I quit my job to cook oh my Cambodian recipes. And I really had to set a schedule for myself and set goals and really be diligent about how many recipes I made each week and stick to my plan and kind of outline all the recipes I wanted to make. And as I had conversations about the project with my sisters and with my mom, new recipes kept coming up. So my list kept getting longer and longer and longer. Oh my God. How many are in the book? How many recipes? About 75. Oh my God. Yeah. That is so, my gosh. Yeah. I can just only imagine the amount of work that went into that, but that's such an amazing project. And I'm sure your mom loved the experience of telling you those stories and teaching you and getting to spend that time with you with her in the kitchen. Because like you said, when you were younger, you were kind of like, yeah, whatever, (laughs) if you say so. And now to kind of have that bonding experience with her, I'm sure you'll kind of treasure that for the rest of your life. Yeah, I am actually so impressed with myself that (laughs) I was able to make all of these recipes because it's a lot. And I'm just so excited to share it with everyone and with my family and with my sisters and with my cousins and my nephews and nieces. Um, All of these dishes uh, are kind of reminiscent of my childhood. My mom made all of this growing up for me as a single mother. And I am so impressed with her because through this whole journey of making the cookbook, I've learned more about her and I've gained a newfound respect and understanding of her life and journey. Oh, that's amazing. That's so beautiful. I love that. So what are some of the, I guess, some, I'm sure it's probably hard for you to pick, but some of your favorite recipes from the book? Um, well, one of them would be one I mentioned, the pineapple sweet sour soup, which is my absolute favorite because I just love how it incorporates fruit into a soup. And mm-hmm. it's such an unexpected fruit that you, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a pineapple soup anywhere else outside of my culture. And I love Cambodian noodle soup. Um, That's just so comforting for me. I've grown up eating it since I was little, and it's my absolute favorite dish. So whenever I go back home to Boston, I used to always request my mom to make it for me. But now I know how to make it myself. And she actually liked my version better. No way. Yeah. So that was super exciting. I love that. I also, um, I have some kind of fun recipes in there too that I've kind of added later on in my process, like Cambodian beef jerky or pickled watermelon rinds, which I love. Um, Cool. Yeah. But a lot of my favorites are noodle soups. There are different variations of noodle soups and I, I love noodles. Yeah, love a noodle soup, love noodles. Yeah, that seems like those those sound like some high points for me. <laughs> are these soups kind of are they sort of quick to prepare or are they more like extensive, like low and slow, make a chicken broth for eight hours? Like what is or, or does it vary? Um, 
most of them you can make within an hour and a half. So I wouldn't say they take that long. Okay, good. That's awesome. Well, good to know. (laughs) If I try to tackle some Cambodian soup recipes. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, some of them you can make as quickly as 45 minutes or an hour. It just kind of depends. Amazing. Amazing. So with your cooking style, I know you didn't kind of start taking on learning so much about the culinary field until later in life, but how has your cooking style kind of evolved? Would you say that you, you know, started with the heavy Cambodian influence and then kind of sprinkled in your own, you know, experiences? I mean, you live in different areas of the country or how would you describe your cooking journey, I guess? When I first started learning how to cook, because Cambodian food was a little bit more intimidating to me because I compared everything to my mother's dishes. So I was just scared of not getting it right. So I think when I first started learning how to cook, I learned more American dishes and Italian dishes. And then I started incorporating more Cambodian when I had more time to speak with my mom or had more time to go grocery shopping and go to the Asian markets. So it took me a little bit longer to learn Cambodian dishes. Interesting. Okay. So now what's type, what's what type of food are you preparing for yourself on a day-to-day basis? Oh my gosh, everything. I cook everything. I love cooking and I love trying new recipes. I love testing out new recipes. I love learning about different dishes from different cultures. But mostly I would say I cook a lot of Asian food. Like I make a lot of rice and soups. I like to make a big pot of soup and freeze it mm-hmm. later so that I always have soup on hand. Um, I always have eggs in my fridge. Uh, a good egg and rice with soy sauce is always a good comfort food. And I make a lot of Italian food too. I make a lot of bolognese and um, the spicy arrabbiata sauce. Yeah. And lately I've been learning a lot of more Lebanese dishes, which have oh. been fun. What, type, what Le- Lebanese dishes have you been making? Chicken shawarma. Yum. Yeah. Yes. It's so good. I love all the spices. And then there's this other dish, which is kind of Lebanese influence. Um, It has yogurt. It's chicken marinated in yogurt. You're global, my friend. You're you're doing it all. (laughs) That's awesome. And it's cool that you've, you know, kind of taken different cultures and combined them to then kind of make that part of your repertoire. Because I feel like that's, that's a really cool thing to do to kind of embrace what your culture is, but then also try new things and learn new cuisines. That's, that's very cool. I'm very impressed by you being able to do all that. I would not know how to make chicken shawarma. I can tell you that much right now. (laughs) It's so fun learning new recipes. It's a new challenge. Now that I've figured out how to cook all of my favorite Cambodian dishes, I feel like it's time to mix it up a little bit. Yes. Okay. I love that. So how often are you grocery shopping for Mm -hmm. just your daily needs, I guess? (laughs) Probably three times a week at least. Oh my God. Two to three times. Yeah. Um, That's a lot. I can't cook for the the week. I don't know what I'm going to be craving in the next two days. And I kind of base my cooking and eating off of my cravings. So it's hard for me to decide what I want to eat for the whole week in one grocery store trip. That is a valid point. I do end up finding myself in that because I, I kind of just do one a week and, you know, hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> I do find that a lot where I'm like, oh, well, I had, you know, turkey burgers, but I really don't feel like that. I'm really in the mood for Chinese. So I guess I'm just going to order in Chinese and then I end up spending too much money and ordering too much takeout. So 
I think your method probably makes more sense, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But it does take a lot of time to do all that grocery shopping, that's for sure. It does. And it takes time to run around finding the right ingredients, too. Uh, Yeah. Do you so do you physically go grocery shopping every time? Because I end up doing delivery a lot, which is also expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I do my own grocery shopping, and I don't shop at one place. I go to different grocery stores for different needs. I can't seem Ooh. to find everything in one place. Okay, so do you go to like a specialty Asian market for a lot of things, or I don't know what's a, yeah. There's there's stuff around here in New York, right? Well, I'm in um. Los Angeles. So okay, I to, you are in Los Angeles. Yeah, I go to Thai town for a lot of my groceries because Thai food and Cambodian food are, require a lot of similar ingredients. And, you know, I also love my regular Trader Joe's because it's down the street and I can walk there. And then I go to Whole Foods and Pavilions. <laughs> Did you just hear my cat? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kitty. She has she has a lot to contribute to the conversation as well. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your input. So you're grocery shopping a lot and you're cooking a lot. How many nights a week would you say that you're cooking? Probably at least four. Four nights. Four nights a week. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that all of them are fancy meals. Some of them are really basic. Okay. Yeah. How are you kind of approaching dinner every night? Are you trying to do something like hey, I want like a protein and a veggie and a starch or like I'm just in the mood for X or kind of, how are you kind of approaching the dinner process? Yeah, I, I approach it more on my mood and my cravings and and also what I have. So I try to use what I have because I hate wasting groceries and throwing it out. So I try to use whatever I have before it spoils. <laughs> and yes. generally I like to keep it healthy. So a lot of nights I eat a lot of vegetables and you know, when I do have meat, I usually have to prepare for it and buy meat from my particular grocery store in advance. Um, but generally, um, every day I usually just, I eat more like basic meals, simple meals. And the ones where I'm probably trying new recipes, I kind of have to plan in advance for. Yeah, that makes sense. And are you preparing a lot of meals like for your content and whatnot, I imagine as well? Yeah. Um, And that's all kind of just based on me staying up late at night, looking on my Instagram for inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like to feel inspired when I cook. I don't like feeling forced to cook. So either I'm craving something or I I saw something that looked really good and I want to copy it or try it or play around with a new recipe. And for some reason, I end up staying up late at night in bed looking at food pictures oh, and then getting super hungry <laughs> mm-hmm. every single night. Yeah. The age old issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially with like the, you know, proliferation of TikTok and food videos. Now it's like the, it's like, not only are you looking at food pictures, we're looking at food videos and getting hungry. And like, you can, you can feel like you can almost smell it. You can hear it. You can see it. It's everybody, you know, all the ASMR and everything. I'm like literally doing the same thing in bed at night, just getting hungry and getting excited to wake up and eat breakfast. <laughs> And then I wake up knowing what I want to eat. <laughs> Good. Well, there you go. It's inspiration for the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so who inspires you, Davey? Well, that would definitely have to be my mother. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I just think my mom is so amazing. And even though, you know, we have a mother-daughter relationship, we're definitely, you know, we argue and um, we definitely have had phases where our relationship wasn't that easy. Um, but now as an adult and as I've gone through this cookbook process with her, I've just 
learned so much about her and um, our history. And I just have this newfound appreciation. She just survived through so much, surviving a war, a genocide, um, a bad marriage and raising three girls on her own and still able to make all these dishes from scratch. I just think it's so amazing. Yeah. She sounds like an amazing lady and she came over here and made it work for all of you, which is, I mean, geez, like I, I'm like, I'm over here. Like, I don't know how I take care of me and my cat. So. <laughs> and the thing is she doesn't measure anything and she remembers all of these recipes. And I, I, I still have to refer back to my notes because I don't remember all the specific ingredients that goes in a dish. Mm-hmm. Does she just say, how does she explain how she does that? I'm sure you've been like, mom, how do you remember all this? It's just like muscle memory for her or how does she know? Well, she's cooked her entire life and she actually prefers home cooking to going out to eat. So mm-hmm. I think it's just muscle memory. And I mean, sometimes she forgets things, especially when she's dictating recipes to me and then I'll make it and wonder why it didn't come out well. And then she'll tell me later, oh, it's because I forgot to tell you this. <laughs> um, but she does, she remembers more as she's doing it. It just like comes to her when she's doing it, but less uh, so when she's dictating it to me over the phone. Oh my God. That's so funny. You're probably like, mom, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I've asked you nine times. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness I've gone through this process and I've written everything down because now I can share it and I can always refer back to it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like your cookbook was almost as much for you as it was for the world. Because yeah. like now I don't have to call her every time. I have it. I have it right here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So who else, I guess, from like a cult, like, is there any like culinary, I don't know, like chefs or anybody who you look up to with like cooking style or anything like that? Um, I do. I am a fan of Chrissy Teigen. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, because she cooks Thai food, but she also has fun with her recipes and dishes based on her own cravings. So I kind of love her style and love how she has fun with cooking because cooking should be fun. It shouldn't be so hard. And when I was younger, I used to think it was so scary and so intimidating if I didn't get it perfect, if it didn't turn out like my mother's. And I was just so scared to experiment. And now I've just gotten so much more comfortable cooking and being in the kitchen and testing out and playing around with things and ingredients and even making mistakes and getting it wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Did you know that Chrissy Teigen's, Teigen's mom has a cookbook now? Yeah. <laughs> She's probably a good one too because I, I think Chrissy got a lot of her recipes from her mom. It's Yeah. And they're all fun. Vibe. Yeah. And they're all fun comfort food. And I feel that my cookbook is all comfort food. Amazing. So what's next for you? Like, what are your, what are you looking at? And I'm sure getting the cookbook done was an incredible feat, but after you got that done was, what are you kind of trying to achieve next in the the culinary world? I would love to do another cookbook that maybe isn't Cambodian that incorporates mm-hmm. all the dishes that I just love to cook on a day-to-day basis that I've learned from different cultures. Oh. So another cookbook. Maybe, possibly. And, you know, what's different about my cookbook is that it incorporates stories before each section. So Mm -hmm. the stories that begin each section um, tell a little bit about my childhood and my relationship with my mom. And they're nostalgic and intimate and personal. And I want my cookbook to resonate with other people who have had similar experiences growing up in America either as an immigrant or refugee or first-generation American. Um, But I was thinking that since I really love writing and I enjoy writing stories and my Cambodian cookbook has stories, I would want my next Mm -hmm. cookbook to have stories too. So I have thought about the idea of doing a cookbook that is based on recipes or inspired by relationships (laughs) Um, because – my journey to make the Cambodian cookbook took a while because I dated so many different men who had different dietary restrictions. That was challenging because cooking and sharing food is the way I show love and express love because that's how my mother shows love in our family. And if the men I date have different dietary restrictions and, or don't love food, it's, it was really hard for me to connect with them. So I had to kind of adjust my cooking to cater to them. And that's what took me so long to start the Cambodian cookbook because it was hard for me to share that with the people that I was in relationships with. So the men that I have been in relationships with have definitely inspired my cooking in different phases of my life. So I would love to do a cookbook that is inspired by past relationships and stories. That's hilarious. You're like the Taylor Swift of the cookbook world. Yes. <laughs> Instead of writing songs about your exes, you have a recipe like, this is an ode to my annoying ex who was vegan and couldn't eat any of my mom's Cambodian food. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And even though it was annoying at the time, it's helped me develop my culinary skills. It's learned, It's helped me learn how to diversify my cooking and be able to cater to different diets. That's actually hilarious. I think that would be a really, that's an amazing cookbook concept. (laughs) I hope so. What were some of the restrictions? Was there like a vegan, a gluten-free? Like what was the deal? One guy dated, he was a pescatarian because he had gout. Okay. And then um, I became a pescatarian after that for like four years where I didn't eat meat. And so during that time, I I wasn't inspired to work on a Cambodian cookbook because there's meat right. in the dishes. And then after that, I dated a guy who ate only meat and potatoes. He really didn't like ethnic Anything. food. Yeah. And so he, I couldn't share my Cambodian dishes with him. Oh, and man. After him, I dated a guy who actually didn't like food. If that what exists. I know it sounds crazy, um, but he didn't like food. He 
was gluten-free. He didn't have celiac, but he was probably allergic to gluten. And he was also dairy-free, lactose intolerant, and he didn't care that much about food. Huh. So did he, like, he just didn't like anything? No, he would eat, but he never got excited. And I love food with people who get excited about food and get excited about cooking and get excited about their next meal and has cravings. Right. Um, He didn't have any of that. He even said to me once, if he could, he would have, he would take a pill that would satisfy his food needs. Oh my God. I don't even know why. Yeah, I don't even know why I dated him. (laughs) Yeah, my gosh, what a geez. Yeah, you were like that's probably red flag number one. I know. I know. With that, he should probably lead with that on a first date. Like, just so you know, I really don't care about food. I feel like that would uh, drop a lot of the (laughs) prospective uh, partners of his because people would be like, "What is the matter with you?" Like, if I was on a date with someone and they told me that, I'd be like, "Yeah, I mean, I wish you the best, but I really don't think we have a lot in common." (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh and my I, God. I Those also are hilarious dated, stories. Yeah. And I also dated a guy, which I mean, I guess this is not a food group, but it's important to me. He didn't like charcuterie. Who doesn't like charcuterie? That's nonsense. There's nothing <laughs> not to like. There's literally nothing, nothing not to like. That's just like, that's just being, that's just being obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're vegan, sure, you don't like charcuterie because, like, yeah, what are you going to eat? Like, vegan cheese and meat. Like, it's not great. But, Wow. Okay. I feel like you could make like really funny TikToks about all this. Like this is one of the, this is one of the recipes that I made for my ex-boyfriend who didn't like anything. Like, or I don't know. I feel like you could do some really funny storytelling with that. That's like really, really good humor. <laughs> yeah. And even outside of these relationships, even like with men that I've dated in LA, a lot of them have very, very interesting diet res- dietary restrictions. So that is so LA. I know. <laughs> that is the most LA thing I've ever heard in my life. Like everybody you date is like has a dietary restriction. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like that in New York. Like I feel like everybody I go out to eat with, like I have one friend who's gluten intolerant, but like you said, who's just like allergic to gluten. Yeah. And everybody like everybody else in my life, every time we go out to eat, they're like, any dietary restrictions? Nope. But LA, I feel like they're just like that's a loaded question. Everybody at the table is probably like, oh, yeah, I can't eat this. I won't eat that. Like, no soy for me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've talked to people about it before where I told some of my friends, I need to date someone who likes food. And they think it shouldn't be an issue, that it should be so simple. Like, yeah, but, that's not asking for much. But I think it is. <laughs> In LA, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Definitely in LA, people who like are down to, I guess, eat, you know, not super healthy food or like not to say that you're making a lot of unhealthy food, but just like an indulgence, a comfort food, you know, something that isn't just like super, you know, thinking about macros and whatever. That's probably hard to find in LA. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Godspeed. There's someone out there who actually, <laughs> there's gotta be, right? <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is, when I started learning, well, not learning, but watching my mother cook, um, she used to tell me, you know, this is how you're going to find a husband. Oh my Learn how to cook. Gosh. I've learned all these recipes and I still haven't found them yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever it is will be incredibly lucky. I think everything you were describing that was in your book just sounds absolutely amazing. And I'm sure your mom's just beaming with pride to see you kind of bringing her recipes to the world. I'm just like, I'm, I, I would assume she's very, very proud and excited to see all that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think she is now. When I first started the project, 
she was kind of confused. You're quitting your job to cook? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go back to, to, to more formal work or are you just doing kind of blogging and cooking content? So when I decided to embark on this cookbook project, I started freelancing and consulting so that I'd have flexibility to work on the cooking. And even though I finished the majority of the cookbook, because right now I have representation and um, looking for a publisher with my lit agent right now. And so I'm pretty much finished with the book. Um, But even though I'm finished, I still don't want to go back to typical full-time corporate work. Right. I'm still freelancing, consulting because I love the flexibility. It allows me to still work on my creative side because even though I may not be working on the cookbook as much at this point in my career, I am still working on my Instagram and I'm still working on my blog. I still enjoy mm-hmm. creating content. I still enjoy creating new recipes. Well, amazing. Well, definitely let me know when that book comes out. We will we'll do a cooking live together on the feed feed with one of your recipes. That sounds I'm I'm excited just to try them. <laughs> so I'm definitely very excited for your book to be finalized and out in the world. I would love that. Yay. Well, was there anything else important to add about your culinary journey that I didn't ask you, Davey? Um I I think you've asked me some Good questions. What's your favorite food? I'm curious. What do you oh, like? Oh, you want to know? Yeah. I think my favorite food's probably sushi. Oh, yeah. I love sushi. sushi yeah, <laughs> love sushi. Everything, I, w- I would say, like, I'm always, as far as foods that I crave, like, always something within, like, the Asian realm under the Asian umbrella, whether that be, like, really good Chinese food or sushi or Thai food. I love Vietnamese. Like, I always just kind of lean more towards Asian flavors rather than like people who I don't like sit around craving Italian as much. Yeah. Nothing against like a good, you know, bowl of pasta, but definitely like I could probably eat something under the Asian umbrella, like at least six days a week. That's my, <laughs> that's always my go-to. Um, so yeah, definitely finding on my end, finding a partner who isn't always just like, Oh, pizza, pasta, burgers. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely important for me, like to find someone who's kind of more robust in their culinary tastes. So <laughs> thank you for asking. Do you cook Asian food as well? A little bit. I tried to, I mean, I've tried to learn, like I've had the amazing opportunity to kind of interview people like you and, you know, other creators who are Korean or, um, you know, Vietnamese or whatever it may be. So I try to learn more and more from people I talk to. And every time I, you know, have someone on the podcast or just get to know, you know, creators in general, they're like, oh, well, you need to have you need to have black vinegar in the house or you need to have light soy sauce and dark soy sauce or like chili oil or whatever it is. Like I pick up like on another new thing from people that I get to know. And so I feel like it's sort of improving my, my Asian cooking in the, at the end of the day, getting to know people who are kind of giving me these tips, but I definitely have a lot of work to do. And I guess my confidence and kind of like taking on some of those cuisines, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I love Asian food, but I'm also so good. I'm also biased. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm biased, and I'm not I'm not Asian, so I mean, it's clearly it's got a, <laughs> have you a ever, universal appeal. Have you ever had Cambodian food? I don't think I've ever ever had Cambodian specific food. I mean, I'm I assume there's a decent. I mean, there's everything in New York and pretty and everything in LA, so I would assume there's got to be some places around. I would definitely. I think I'm gonna look into that when we get off of this, because I don't think I've ever had a Cambodian specific restaurant, but there's got to be some in New York, right? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm positive there's some in New York. Um, yeah, I just We've got everything. <laughs> I just think that Cambodian food, it's so good and it's so underrepresented because a lot of people don't know about Cambodian food or have ever had Cambodian food. I haven't. I mean, it sounds, from what you're describing, sounds like it's, you know, somewhat adjacent to other Asian cuisines, but it is different in its own regard, of course. So I I am definitely curious to kind of seek out an actually Cambodian restaurant rather than just, you know oh, you know, I've had Chinese close enough, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you've inspired me to look that up. I'm definitely yeah, and excited to try some and that can, soup that you described. Yeah, and I can always share a recipe with you. I'd love to Absolutely. share that. Oh my God, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Davey, for being here today. It was so such a delight to get to know you and your story and the story of your mom. It's all just like, I'm I'm proud by proxy. <laughs> I'm sure you're, you and your mom had to do so much work to get to this point, but I'm just, you know, it's really cool to hear that story and it's inspiring to me. And I'm sure any, you know, many others who are listening to this and, you know, kind of have that same notion of, Hey, you know, for my you know parents or grandparents or whoever it may be that has these recipes that I don't want to lose, like make that effort to learn them from them and write them down. And while you don't necessarily need to publish a cookbook, about them just kind of documenting that so that you have them and your kids will have them and kind of passing those cultural traditions down, I think is super important. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. Thank you so much, Alexa, for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and don't forget to follow at loveinmybelly on Instagram as well. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve the what's for dinner question, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.